Hey, podcast listeners. Thanks for joining us for the All Saints Lutheran Sermon Series of Podcasts. We're so delighted that you've landed on this page, and we ask that you contextualize yourself by reading the descriptor. Enjoy, and let us know what you think. Not like the brazen giants of Greek fame, with conquering limbs astride from land to land. Here at our sea-washed sunset gate shall stand a mighty woman with a torch, whose flame is imprisoned lightning, and her name, Mother of Exiles. From her beacon hand glows worldwide welcome. Her mild eyes command the air-bridged harbor that twin cities frame. Keep, ancient lands, your storied pomp, cries she with silent lips. Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to breathe free, the wretched refuge of your teeming shore. Send these, the homeless, tempest-tossed to me. I lift my lamp beside the golden door. One of my colleagues, Pastor Katie Hines Shaw, wrote a beautiful piece this week, and I want to credit her with the majority of the inspiration for this message. And she began with that poem. It's one you may know, especially from some of those last few lines, as being written by the poet Emily Lazarus, and it's inscribed on the base of the Statue of Liberty. It's an inscription of welcome over 135 years now. And it's speaking to the uniqueness of what the United States have often desired to be, a place of refuge and dreams. And today's gospel reminds us of the promise of our faith and the unique welcome that we as Christians are called to extend. And as we approach this national holiday on Tuesday, we're reminded of the opportunities we may have taken for granted and the duty that we have to preserve and to share these opportunities. Now, Pastor Katie did some amazing research on this poem, and early on in her poem, Emily Lazarus refers to this brazen giant of Greek fame, which apparently is the Colossus of Rhodes. But there are a whole bunch of giant statues of people like Colossus. This idea of a giant brazen statue is not unique. And though built in different places and in different times, Pastor Katie talked about three different statues that have a lot in common with each other. The Colossus of Rhodes in Greeks, the statue of Nebuchadnezzar from the book of Daniel, and the Colossus of Nero, which stood in the center of ancient Rome. First, the statue which the poem refers to directly, the Colossus of Rhodes, was built 300 years before Christ. Ancient descriptions of the statue say that Colossus was a man, a warrior, standing alongside the harbor, a weapon in his hand, threatening all who dared to breach Rhodes' defenses. And while the Colossus of Rhodes instantly became a wonder of the ancient world, one of the seven ancient wonders that we know, after its completion, it didn't last long. Just 60 years after it was erected, the statue fell in an earthquake, and it was never rebuilt. It lay there for many years, and eventually was taken as plunder and destroyed. 
And on a day when we hear from the prophet of Jeremiah, we're reminded also of the golden statue of King Nebuchadnezzar, the king of the Babylonian Empire at the time, the one that Jeremiah is warning about and Hananiah is saying won't be a problem. And while in the book of Jeremiah, Jeremiah doesn't mention the statue in his writings about Babylon, the story of Daniel, also taken from that same time period, does. And Daniel writes about this statue of King Nebuchadnezzar standing almost 90 feet tall. And according to Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar ordered that the statue be worshipped by everyone, including the enslaved Jewish people. And if they refused, as we hear in the book of Daniel, of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they would be thrown into a fiery furnace. The third statue, the newest of the three, is this Colossal of Nero, which was intended to be the crown jewel of Nero's golden house, a palace so large it encompassed the greater part of three of Rome's famous seven hills. The original statue stood over a 100 feet high and was supposed to be a self-portrait of Nero as a god carrying an orb representing his dominance over the world, a sword showing his might. But Nero didn't live long enough to see it completed. While Nero's successors destroyed his golden house and many of the other artifacts of his reign, they kept the statue and modified it using whatever they could to, for their own needs. So the Emperor Vespasian added a halo and changed the face to look more like himself. The Emperor Hadrian added a beard to look more like himself. There was a popular poem at the time that warned that should the Colossus ever fall, Rome would fall. And if Rome would fall, so would the fall of the world come. Around year 400, the statue did fall. And Rome also fell then, too. But somehow the world didn't fall. There are themes that appear when you set these statues next to each other. They all represent very specific, powerful men. They convey the threat of violence through clubs or swords or promises of fiery furnaces. The colossal statues were constructed with tax dollars or war plunder. The Colossus of Rhodes, of Babylon, and of Rome aren't the only statues that fit this pattern. We see them all throughout history and all around the world. Ramses the Great in Egypt, Lenin and Stalin in Soviet Russia, Kim Il-sung, Kim Jong-il in North Korea. All of these statues are meant to portray dominance and to inspire fear and loyalty through that dominance and fear. And then we have the Statue of Liberty. Pretty stark contrast in many ways. To begin with, the statue wasn't paid for by tax dollars or plunder. It was paid for by many, many small donations of a dollar, a few dollars, a few cents. And while all of these other statues depict very specific men, Lady Liberty is a woman, and a generic one at that. 
while the others are powerful. The Statue of Liberty wears broken chains around her ankles as if she's just escaped from enslavement. While so many statues hold weapons, the Statue of Liberty carries a tablet in one hand and a beacon of welcome in the other. She's the embodiment not of dominance, but of hope and welcome, and reminds us of those calls of our faith for hope and welcome. In today's gospel, we hear Jesus talk of welcome. It comes after these texts that we've been reading the past few weeks, where Jesus is sending his disciples out. This is one of those chances where multiple weeks in a row we get to read an entire chapter and a half together. And Jesus sends his disciples out to cure the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, cast out demons. But Jesus, throughout Matthew's 10th chapter, has already made it very clear that the disciples will not be welcome everywhere. And they can expect to experience the same hostility that Jesus often does, for he's sending them out like sheep in the midst of wolves. They can expect to encounter persecution and trials. They need to be prepared for painful division between families, and they need to be willing to put Jesus' mission above family loyalties. But in the end of the 10th chapter, Jesus says, Whoever welcomes you welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones in the name of a disciple, truly I tell you, none of these will lose their reward. Those who do even the smallest acts of hospitality and welcome, even the smallest of people, in the name of someone sent by Jesus, they will be blessed. He tells us that the one who would welcome Jesus' followers must also be prepared to do something. Jesus doesn't tell his disciples to go and pray for something or go and think about something, but they should go and do. And Jesus tells those who would follow him that they must be prepared not to dominate, but to serve. It doesn't have to be extravagant. Even a cup of cold water would do. But our faith must be lived out in action. The dream that we see symbolized in the Statue of Liberty must also be lived out in action. We are to turn away from tyrants and their promise of domination through fear, a promise which is a lie. And these colossal statues and the people, men who inspire them, fall. Instead, the United States is meant to be a nation that welcomes the least and provides liberty to all. Immigrants, like most of our ancestors, the tired, the poor, those who face in, whose faces and experiences are different from our own, Those who want to join us in our common dream of freedom should be welcome here. And that's not all. More than conceptually, as a nation, we must act on that dream, aiding those who are in need with food and shelter, education and opportunity, justice and freedom. 
on this 4th of July holiday weekend. Maybe some of you get a longer weekend Monday off too. Our beacon of welcome must not be dimmed. This is also the promise of our faith. If we hold to Jesus's command, our ideals will stand long after all statues will crumble. More than that, we all will not lose our reward. And for this we can say, Thanks to God.